All right, Neil, about to start lap one. Any thoughts? Yeah, it's going to be a brutal, a brutal day, but brutal in a good way. We signed up for this, so <laughs> I'm so I feel like I'm a 14-year-old kid going to his first bike race. I'm <laughs> so pumped. Awesome, Jake. Any thoughts? I think Neil's crazy. Feeling <laughs> feeling pretty fresh. I was telling the wife that Neil. Neil actually gets truly excited like a kid on Christmas for stuff like this where the rest of us are all fully cognizant of the idea being really bad. So here we, we go. We all think logically. <laughs> Shane, lap one done. How'd it feel? Felt, felt okay. I mean, that's a really, really steep hill. Yeah. Um, it hurt, but I think I have a chance, nice. which I, I, yeah, I mean, I feel pretty good right now. I'm like, uh, this might happen. Yeah. <laughs> laps in still feel good adrenaline starting to wear off a little bit there was a deer walking alongside the road across the way that was walking faster than I was pedaling so that's encouraging Six laps down, a um, little over halfway. This is, this sucks. <coughs> um, it's pretty fun hitting 50 mile an hour each time the descent, but holy cow, this is, uh, this is real deal. All right, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. It's a Tuesday after Memorial Day. It's also Everesting season. It hasn't always been Everesting season in the month of May, but uh, thanks to our good friend Rebecca Rush um, and Neil Shirley, who's in the room with us today, uh, yeah, Everesting became a thing. Um, also on this show today is Mr. Shane Nishikawa, who is NV's director of operations and of course the amazing sound engineer not an engineer but product guy mr <laughs> aj pedal turner hello uh, myself jake pantone and the godfather of gravel and the purveyor of horrible ideas <laughs> neil shirley hey Neil, why don't you tell us about how this whole everesting theme came to be well i I think we were actually, the two of us were out on a ride and we we're going up a really steep climb, breathing hard. And we were kind of lamenting that there was nothing to do. Well, I was lamenting. <laughs> I, don't, I think you were lamenting that ski season was over yeah, or something that like more that. sounds accurate. I was trying to explain to you there was plenty to do <laughs> if you just don't do it on a bike. Yeah, I, I think I missed that part. Because um, then Everesting came up and you were, you were talking about it and I was like, oh, I think, you know, I might, it might be up for an Everest. And then literally like 48 hours later, Rebecca Rush called and said, Hey, so I'm thinking about putting on this Everesting event where people sign up and they're a part of it. We raise money for COVID-19 relief. 
people Everest, they can do it, you know, virtually from their own home or whatever climb they have in their area. And I told her the timing couldn't be more perfect because we were all like not being at Sea Otter, not having Belgian Waffle Ride or DK or all these other events that have kind of helped shape what would normally be the early season. We're kind of like, all right, what, what are the goals, what to do? So anyway, Rebecca rolled out the Giddy Up Challenge and we, uh, we signed up right away. And then we had six weeks to get ready for the beast <laughs> and uh, somehow roped in some other, some, well, all of you guys <laughs> to join in the fun. Well, let's be honest. There was a lot more people that were, see, I was on paper not into it. And there's a lot of others who committed to doing it that actually didn't do it. Yeah, I think, I think that's what I remember too is quite a few more said they were interested and then as the weeks got closer the number dwindled to just us <laughs> at one point we had nine yeah yeah well and when jake says on paper he wasn't into it he was one of the fir- you were one of the first ones to reply <laughs> back to that nice email thread i started it was a chat thread on teams i remember we were yeah yeah and you said it took you about five minutes to say you were in yeah i mean i can't i can't say no it would just you know who would I be if I said no? True. True. <laughs> um, well, Neil, do you want to walk us through um, the course that we picked for our Everest attempt and some of the details maybe or why why you picked it? And Well, we, we were looking at um, uh, the North Ogden Divide, which is just a local climb here that we do on a lunch ride. Um, and it's 1,400-foot vertical gain. Um, Tour of Utah uses it. Um, and then about two weeks before we, we were set to do the event, um, that we were notified that there was going to be road construction and it's already kind of a busy road and a, a narrow shoulder. So we thought like, all right, what's, you know, that's a bummer, but what's, what's plan B. And it, it had always been in the back of my mind that like the most brutal climb that I've never ever done in Utah. And it might be the most, the hardest in Utah is powder mountain, which is, you know, just a few miles beyond the, the divide. And, uh, it's, it's a climb that like locals don't even like to do because <laughs> it's just not enjoyable. It's so hard. Um, them wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's about a, a mile from Jake's house. So it's yeah. like his secret training ground. So Jake, you know, that climb better than anyone. Yeah. I mean, only because this year I've, I mean, before the Everesting thing, I was like, you know, if I'm going to be able to climb and get my legs fast and get in shape. Cause you guys rode all winter and I just skied I figured the <laughs> quickest way to get my 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 uh, pedal fitness on was to uh, do some laps up Powder Mountain, and then <clears throat> again, the great thing about Powder Mountain Road is it's a well, it is close to my house, but it is a really quiet road. Um, does not see a lot of traffic, other than you know a little bit of construction traffic, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a brutal road. It's really quite steep, so. Um, the full road, if you actually ride it according to like the Strava segment and what Collegiate Nats and Tour of Utah and some others have used it as a as a as a final stage finish as well in the past. But the full the full climb is um, a six mile climb that averages just under ten percent for the entirety of the whole climb. And you know, for the segment we chose to ride and for the segment we chose to ride just to maximize vertical and um, a nice staging area, we we ended up choosing a four and a half mile stretch that averaged uh, 12%. Um, 
so I, you know, our, the max elevation was 8,200 feet and, you know, at points in the climate, you know, that it has some really steep walls that you, you get up that are, you know, I think we decided 22% was the max grade that you see on there. And there's a few 16s in there. What's crazy is there is a section in the climate's probably about three and a half miles into the four and a half mile segment. You get a about a quarter mile of five percent or six percent that feels like you're riding downhill basically <laughs> <laughs> it's such a nice break in the middle yeah. of that climb yeah. but i mean i i think for me this whole everesting thing and you know i mean if anybody's listening to this it's likely that they're curious like what is this everesting or you know why am i keep hearing about it and what is it i mean i think you know it, I regretted asking Neil about Everesting the minute I did it because I knew he was going to probably come up with some excuse for us to Everest, and then it magically Rebecca Rush. <laughs> I think they colluded to uh, <laughs> create this just so we would have to Everest. But no, then, you know, when Rebecca put together this Giddy Up for Good challenge, um, you know, it, it seemed like a great cause, and without any events, and it, you know, without any events looming, it seemed like a perfect kind of way to go, and... Um, do a big ride, check something new off the bucket list. And uh, honestly, in the back of my mind, I'd always thought it would be a cool challenge to uh, complete. But I think, the f honestly, I think the preparation was kind of the fun part. Not necessarily the, the riding per se, but like trying to figure out what route. I mean, I think that was kind of the fun is doing the, looking at different climbs. And anybody that ever considers Everest, it seems, I'm pretty new to this in terms of the amount of time I've been thinking about Everesting. But it seems like everybody who thinks about Everesting, the first thing they do is um, they want to do loops and they want to link together a bunch of climbs. And um, there are rules to Everesting officially. There's actually a website, everesting.cc. Throw a little shout out to them because ultimately they're the ones that uh, track and created the rules and track people's uh, Everesting um, achievements. And, uh, but Neil, maybe tell us a little bit about the rules because there's rules. Yeah. So like you mentioned, you know, a lot of people think like, well, you know, let's do a, let's do a loop. Let's, you know, do something exciting, but you technically need to do the same climb up and down, up and down. Um, yeah. And it, it, I guess if you choose the, if you choose the right climb, like we did, it's actually not, not that boring. The They're, right climb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I think a lot of people freeze up when you're like, yeah, we're going to do repetitions up this one climb. And it sounds like it'd be super monotonous. And I, I could see how it could be. I mean, there's climbs around here that, you know, yeah, I think you just struggle with the scenery. And if it was a busy road and traffic, it would probably start to drive you a little crazy. Well, what was the, in all of our time to talk up uh, while Everesting, you told me the story about the history of it. Of the climb? Of Everesting, wasn't it? Wasn't oh, of Everesting. Year? Yeah, no, I did. I, I had, yeah, so um, was it Sir Edmund Hillary was the first guy yep, to right. summit Everest? He apparently, when his training to his first um, Everest attempt, he was actually at his local ski area. He, was, he would hike up it, um, just do hill repeats, hiking up and down the same mountain, and apparently that's where the rule for that you have to do the same climb repeatedly came from to be oh. an official Eversting. I did not know that. I, yeah, I didn't know it either until Jake just dropped the knowledge bomb on yeah, knowledge lap bomb. five <laughs> on the Powder so Mountain. Eversting was a thing before even the summit of Everest had been reached. 
apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sir Edmund Hillary was a visionary. <laughs> um, but I mean, in all, I, I think that, I mean, a lot of people that you tell you're going to Everest, you tell them what you have to do They're You know, I think that's the first challenge that is like mentally just considering that, okay, you have to climb 29,029 feet and you got to do it on the same hill. And then people immediately go, Oh, why do I have to do that? What if I did this loop or what about this hill? And man, when you start actually doing the math on how much 29,029 feet is or 8,848 meters, and you start putting mileage to that, it becomes a whole different equation. So, you know, there's, there's no shortage of hills to climb in Utah. And there's definitely some scenic ones that don't see a lot of traffic. I mean, there's another one um, local to local to us here called Monte Cristo. Um, It's a beautiful road. It's relatively quiet on a weekday. Um, But if you were to try to Everest on that hill, you'd probably have to ride 350 miles. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's average average gradient, not you know, not the pitches, not what it goes up to, but the average gradient is truly key in finding the right climb. I think there's there's a lot of things that create the right climb, like how long it is. Uh, basically, we did everything wrong when we chose our climb. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, but. Um, it's much better than a 5% climb. If, yeah. if you were to choose a 5% climb, a climb that averaged 5% for the segment that you were doing, you would be over 200 miles yeah. to achieve the Everest, like Which 220 miles. Which was the route miles. that I actually was suggesting. Yeah. Because that, even, you know, looking at grade, that obviously seems the most realistic when considering the elevation gain. And I was completely neglecting the fact that it would be a very long day going over 200. Yeah. And then sometimes you just you know, okay, I have to do 40 laps um, of this mileage. Well, you forget the return mileage. You right. have to double the mileage. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminded me of that when I tried making a route up Old Snow Basin Road. I was like, oh, it's only 120 miles. And Neil's like, that's only up. <laughs> <laughs> 240. Yeah. <laughs> Just rise over run, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I think I think that's... So, I mean, we had originally honed in on North Ogden Divide, which is, a, again, Neil mentions a popular ride. It's a 1,400 feet elevation gain. It's 2.6 or 2.8 miles long. And that was the route we had originally chosen. And then, like Neil mentioned, we, we ran into some summer construction issues there that, and also it being Memorial Day weekend, would have, it's just, it would have been it's a busy. very busy road to be doing it on. But I think that, like you said, the percent grade is very key if you're selecting a route for Everesting um, because you're really trying to, sort of find that balance between, you know, what you're sort of comfortable, what grade you can comfortably climb at, and then also looking for a descent that's not too taxing. And I think that was honestly the big thing that um, was initially uh, sort of swaying us away from Powder Mountain Road. I mean, other than the fact that the road is, is very, I mean, it's very steep. It's a super challenging road. And I think the other thing to consider is like, and this is what I, I mean, Neil and I talked about this a little bit, but the mindset you go into Everesting with is very different than like the mindset you go into climbing Powder Mountain Road to PR with. So like a PR effort up, a, a single time up a hill for a PR effort is a very different mindset than what you need to be in for Everesting. You know, Everesting's a long game, um, you know, PR is a short game. And all of our experience climbing Powder Mountain Road, it's always been a PR kind of effort where you're just like on your road bike um, with your typical gearing and just attacking the climb. And if you do that, it will eat you alive. I mean, it, it's it's super hard. Um, 
And I think when you think about doing like 11 or 12 laps on that, and all you have to do, all you have to reference is the, the feeling in your legs and the, the suffering you do on a one-time PR effort, it's hard to sort of understand how it's possible to do it. I ran into that, that many times. Because we had climbed it the week prior to our Everest attempt. And that was, you know, the first time I'd climbed Powder Mountain in two years. And, you know, I think, and I don't know if maybe Powder Mountain scared some people away. Maybe I could say that now since they're not on the podcast. But, <laughs> you definitely um, can. But, you know, when we originally talked about the North Ogden Divide, I thought, well, this is attainable. I've trained really well this year. I think I could make it happen. And then once we shifted to Powder, I thought, okay, that's a totally different deal for me. I'm obviously going to show up because... I'm always game for something like this, but I, I honestly, it scared me a little bit. And then when we'd climbed it the week prior, at that point, I was really insecure about what my abilities were going to be on the day that we did it. Cause that, that, like you said, I, it wasn't necessarily PR effort, but all I was, I mean, I was on a 28 cassette and I'm in my mind thinking like, how do you do this 11 times? And I was maybe walking, riding home with my tail between my legs a little <laughs> bit, thinking, I don't know if this is gonna, how this is going to go next week. And I think I joked with people that if I DNF, it's probably going to be with like 4,000 feet. Like I could do it like one time and then just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I can't turn them anymore. <laughs> well, speaking of um, bike gearing and setup, should we go around the table and just say what... Uh, what was the biggest climb you'd done in a single ride before this? And what was the, what was your bike setup basically for the Everest attempt? Like your bike, your gearing and your, your tire and wheel combo. Um, do you want to, do you want to start? Shane? Yeah, sure. So I'd, I've always joked about not being a climber. And when I looked back at what my biggest climb prior to this was, I realized that I am not a climber. <laughs> so the most I'd ever done in a day was 7,188 feet. Um, which was about a year. Well, no, it was the week before. And then before <laughs> that. Before this year, how much did you climb? So seven, I did a 7,000-foot climb uh, the week before RPI. But other than that, like, I don't even think I have rides over 5K. So it's, like, very minimal. So I chose my Cannondale Topstone purely, well, really for two reasons. One, I'm very comfortable on that bike, and I knew that, if I were to Everest, it was going to be a very long day for me. I was projecting somewhere between 16 to 20 hours in all reality being Powder Mountain Road. And so I thought if I'm going to be on a bike for that long, I would rather be comfortable. So I went with the top stone. And then it also had the most comfortable gearing for me, which was a 33-33 setup. And in the end, I think, I don't know that I would do that any differently. I felt really good about it. I had NVG 23 rims on, which... You know, in, in reality, that's just what was on the bike, but I don't know that I would change that either. It felt, felt great. They're light. It's probably the wheel I'd pick regardless, and then I just threw a 28C road tire on. And, yeah, I certainly wouldn't blame my bike setup for any failure on the day. It, was, it probably led to a lot of success, and I think in terms of that portion of the attempt, I, I probably nailed the bike setup. For sure. Loved it. So a little background on Shane. How long have you been riding road bikes, Shane? Oh, it's hard to say. I, I mean, realistically, I, the first road ride I went on would have been about seven years ago. But for the first four years, I mean, I, I cracked a thousand miles for the first time three years ago. And I, I got a thousand nine miles in 2018. And then in 2019, I, I wanted to break 2000. And I actually ended up at like 1950 
-hmm. then this year, I'm, I don't know, I'm like 3,500. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's a story about Shane. Shane's basically, um, a, a, you know, he's, he's our most talented athlete in the building. He's super good at everything he tries. And cycling, something's picked up a little later than a lot of us. And, uh, you know, it wasn't too long ago. I mean, to his point, it's probably less than two, I mean, probably only two years ago that um, even climbing that, even climbing North Ogden Divide, which is the climb we originally were talking about doing, the 2.6, 1,400-foot, that used to be like a, a go-to lunch ride. And, you know, there were quite a few times we'd head up that hill for a lunch ride and Shane would not make it to the top um, within the allotted time limit um, yeah. before we turn around and ride back to the office for to get back within you know our our hour and you know hour long lunch ride so you know it wasn't really that long ago that Shane was was struggling to uh, you know complete a ride like that to today I mean he's definitely um, crushing it on the bike I mean definitely the MV most improved well, I was definitely... Most improved rider, for sure, in the building. I mean, that, that fueled a lot of the fire to do this, and really, the, the desire to succeed, too, right? I mean, I'm the guy that nobody thought would get this done, and, and in the end, I didn't, as, you know, long story short, but if you would have put a, you know, put a, uh, you know, whatever out there before the event, how many feet people thought I would climb, I think they, I think they would have come in pretty low and it may not have been all that encouraging, but, um, yeah, I, I was pretty fired up to, I told Neil, cause Neil and I've been riding for weeks in preparation for this. And I told Neil, like, I, I was really hungry to make this thing happen mainly because every time I told people I was going to do it, I could just see the look on their face, you know, like, do you realize what that is? You know, are you, do you understand how many feet that is? And in, in all reality, I think being naive a little bit to it helped me because it wasn't until people started popping off the week before where they're like, oh, I'm not doing that. There's no way. I was like, how can you not do it? I mean, I'm doing it. You know? <laughs> and I started thinking, I'm like, do I really not know what I'm getting into here? But it's funny. I think at what point, Shane, did you realize how naive we were? Or you were. At what point did you realize how much how much twenty nine thousand feet is for real? The week before, for sure. When okay. we climbed seven K that day and I did Powder Mountain Road, I mean I honestly I went home and it, it was a decision for me. I thought, you know, I really don't know if I can get up there two times because that won't you know, it was really yeah. hard. It's steep. And I thought, I don't even know if I can climb this thing twice, so I should probably just back out. And then everybody else started backing out. And I just thought, like, that's just not me. I mean, I'm, I'm, if I, if you know me, like, I love, it drives me crazy that I'm not the fastest cyclist in the office. Like, it drives me nuts. And I'd that may shock that. people. <laughs> but, like, I don't like that. I play sports, and I've always, it's always come naturally to me. I played football. I played basketball. I played hockey. And I wouldn't ever say I was, like, the absolute best. But I, I got really good at everything really quick. And so for this to take so long and to be so difficult is really hard on me. And so I, I'm the kind of guy, like, if I'm going to fight, I want to fight the heavyweight, right? Like, I don't want to go. And Neil was like, well, just climb 15,000 feet because that would be a big feat. In reality, it would be twice as high as I'd ever climbed before. But I'm like, heck no. Like, I want to go for 30K. And, uh, yeah, the week before, I'm like, I should probably back out. But then I thought, that's not me. Like, I'm just going to go down swinging. And 
maybe I'll make a fool of myself and collapse on the second pass or maybe, you know. And then AJ sent the text trying to back out. Yeah, and then AJ <laughs> tries to back out and I'm like, what? Like, come that on, guys. That is true. I did try to back out at one point, point in time. Yeah. You had a moment of weakness, but you came around. I, I did come around. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be persuaded a little bit more. Well, everybody was dropping out and I'm like, guys, if I'm going, you better show up. I, I don't know what I said. But <laughs> you better be there. I just think that any time you have an excuse to go and ride your bike all day, you should probably take it. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the reality with me. I'm, I'm, I just love being around everybody. And if you ask what fuels me to ride as much as I do, uh, seriously, a big part of it is the fact that I feel guilty every time I'm slow. And I just, I'm like, I got to ride more so that I keep getting invited because I got to get faster if these guys are going <laughs> to keep inviting me for this stuff. So, well, Shane is a quick learner and you've learned quickly that riding with people a lot faster than you is the number one thing for improvement. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, Shane, if, if Shane, um, well, I mean, we can keep going around. We were talking about bike setup, so. Neil, why don't you uh, tell us about your setup and yeah. the process you went through there? So I had I had Everested five years ago, so I totally kind of knew what I was getting <laughs> myself into. Which um, makes it so much more wrong that you did this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I'm not saying I have a really good memory. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Um, I, I would have never done it by myself, so thank you guys. <laughs> um, I... I yeah, like Shane, I rode my gravel bike as well. Just I couldn't get the gearing that I would want for, you know, efficient climbing that the it, the preferred cadence on that climb on my road bike. So I rode my Holland titanium gravel bike with G23s and had a one-to-one -one gear ratio. So it, it worked out as well as I could have hoped for. Um, 28C tires on it. And yeah, it was just a good, comfortable riding bike all day. Yeah, and I mean, same here. I originally was going to ride the road bike when we were going to do North Ogden Divide, but as soon as Powder Mountain came into play, um, I also realized that the gearing wasn't quite what I needed it to be, and that was based on um, we we did Mauna Kea two years ago or so. Yeah. Yeah, two years ago we did Mauna Kea, which was the biggest climb I'd ever done prior to doing an Everest, so that was 14,000 feet. Um which is a cool ride. If anybody gets the chance to go do it, that's a, that's a good Epic. Um, but yeah, based on the sort of the knowledge I had from the challenge and the difficulty of riding that climb, um, you know, I knew that, uh, I needed more gearing. And so I too chose to ride my gravel bike and I swapped out my, um, you know, 40 C tires for 28s. Um, also ran the G 23s and, yeah, I, I mean, the nice thing with the gravel bike is I, you know, I had an 1142 cassette on the back, um, and I ran my climbing chainring, which is a 34 tooth. So it was, it was, I think, a lifesaver, at least for me to be able to, I mean, I always had a bailout gear and had that one, you know, had that, had that nice, uh, whatever, a lot more than one-to-one. -one. <laughs> you were spinning like 90 RPM yeah, you had on a really the good last cadence. lap. I felt, I felt super <laughs> guilty the whole time. <laughs> as, every he time Neil, as he dropped us, he felt guilty. That's good <laughs> every to know. Every time Neil, every time Neil said, I'm out of gears, I was like, I'm down my cassette. I got two to go, Neil. It, it was actually easy no. for us. We had no decision. Like, oh, it's the big cog in the back. That's where it's staying <laughs> yeah. all day. I, I mean, I it's funny. Twice. It's funny. I ultimately went with that gearing setup because I've, I've ridden Powder Mountain Road more than anybody. And 
Um, even this year, I think I've ridden it before the Everest. I think I'd ridden it nine times, which is about six times more than I would normally ride it in any one given season. And, you know, I was riding it with, you know, standard road gearing and a 28 tooth in the back. And, you know, when you're pushing that gear up the hill, it's just super taxing. And so the original plan was just to switch to a 32 tooth cassette to give you a few extra gears. But, um, man, I can't overest or over, uh, emphasize enough that there's no, sh there, there is no such thing as having too easy of a gear if you're going to make an Everest attempt. Yeah. Um, especially if you're choosing a steep hill. Yeah. So to you, AJ. <laughs> um, well, before this, I think the most I'd ever climbed in a single ride was maybe Crusher, I think, which is like 10,000, yeah, 10,000 yeah. feet. So not, not even a third of this. Um, and my setup was not as comfortable as these guys, but <laughs> <clears throat> um, I just picked my road bike because it's actually really light. Um, it's a vinyl um so they're they're custom made frames um but the, it's an aluminum frame it's pretty light and i've spent a lot of time on the bike so i just felt comfortable especially coming down that descent on that bike and it's it's rim brake which is a little trickier but um it, that made for the bike setup lighter but what i screwed up on was my gearing i did a 36 front was my smallest chain ring and then i think i found a 30 tooth uh cog in my garage that I threw on and I really wish I would have had a 32 <laughs> or even more because there was one in the van 42 yeah is it, it was, uh, <laughs> was yeah I brought it for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was uh crawling up the hill at a much slower pace and just kind of grinding towards the end but um yeah that would be something I would change next time I'd probably go some gear I have like I have to be saw. honest when I saw your gear that we, we AJ and I started an hour and a half before the other two and I asked AJ, what are you running? And he told me, and I thought, I don't know if you're going to be able to do this. I didn't say <laughs> that to him, but in my mind, I thought, that is brutal. So, yeah, I mean, strong. when he finished, I, that was a Herculean effort for sure. I will admit I walked maybe a quarter of a mile at one point because I was so tired. Well, that was the last lap when the gale force winds had come in, it's right? true, yeah. The last two laps were in a dead headwind and a little sprinkling of rain, so... It's not ideal. I've, I've done my fair share of walking on climbs, <laughs> so judge-free zone here, AJ. <laughs> right, so, you know, one of the things we want to talk about is just, you know, what was what was something that was different than you expected it to be, or what was what surprised you guys, and what, you know, what kind of, a, you know, for somebody who might be considering Everesting, you know, what's the unexpected that you learned about? during the ride? I, th I think for me um, was just the effort is so different. I think you kind of touched on earlier, like the first laps you're going like almost kind of boringly slow, just trying to like re constantly remind yourself to rein it in because you're going to be out there all day for, you know, 12 to 14 to 16 or more hours. So it's like those first four laps, you're kind of like, man, this is easy. I can totally do this. Like this is, it's not a VO2 max effort. It's not as hard as you can go. It's just spinning up a hill. Um, but then something happens the last <laughs> 10,000 feet and everything goes sideways. So to me, that was hard. It was like I had to keep reminding myself that, which was a little, a little odd, you know, coming from a bike racing history where everything's like full gas all the time. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think mine aren't, 
too surprising, but really I was, I was shocked at how, and maybe I got lucky, but how easy it was to manage nutrition throughout the day. I ate a lot. I drank a lot, but that was never a concern of mine. I mean, I felt great all day from a nutrition standpoint. There wasn't a minute where I thought, oh man, I could bonk or something like that might happen. Tons of energy. And, and honestly, it just, it seemed really easy to manage. You know, it's so slow. I was eating a lot of solid foods, foods that I enjoy. It wasn't a ton of goo and things like that. It was pretty standard day for me. I had a burrito midway through. Um, <laughs> Six foot long Snickers bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I ate three feet worth of Snickers and three jars of dill pickles. Like it was a standard Friday for me. So, um, that, that surprised me a little bit. But I think, you know, a couple things that just were, I think, crucial if you're going to plan an attempt. I was amazed at how much the scenery impacted the way I felt. There were some moments where, I mean, it was painful. And I would just find myself getting caught up. There was a river that ran right down the side of the route. And, you know, you're just looking at the river with all these waterfalls. There's deer running around. And that honestly made a big difference for me. It allowed me to sort of escape a little bit and get my mind off of the actual just grueling climb. I mean, if it were a mundane scene, I, I don't know if I could have gotten as far as I did. And then um, I was amazed at how much of an impact it had to have people there that I knew. So we had multiple people from Envy show up to offer encouragement. I had some family members there. Just seeing Jake and Neil and AJ, that that was a big deal for me. I mean, there were moments where if I were doing that by myself, I mean, there's just no way it would have lasted as long as it did. And in some ways, like on a group ride, I'm always the first guy to go. So I've never got to see Neil suffer. I've never <laughs> seen Jake in pain. I've never seen AJ, you know, struggle. And so for me to see those guys like really hurting, as sick as this may sound, <laughs> it offered me some encouragement. I'm like, hey, they're hurting too, and I'm getting through this. Like, that's it's good, okay. That's a good point. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but that makes sense. I mean, it was interesting to see. I'm like, these guys are mortal. You know, <laughs> their faces, they're grimacing, and they're struggling. And, um, yeah, it it was interesting to go through that. How about you? Uh, yeah, I would say kind of what you know, Shane talking about nutrition. Um, that's obviously like, so, so key for the day. And I think the laps really make it easy to be able to time your time, your nutrition. Um, cause one, you're never having to carry a ton of stuff with you. You can just stop each time. We had a nice setup at the bottom of the hill. Um, and I'll kind of echo what you said, AJ, in the sense that you feel really good. And I felt really good the first half, like really within this controlled riding. And then all of a sudden it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't so <laughs> much that way. And it wasn't that my legs went bad. I just like, I, you know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't ride very fast, but because of, I think that sound nutrition like I was still able to maybe not go as fast as I would like to, but not completely fall apart and not be able to pedal my bike anymore. So even though like my lap times got slower, I was still able to just kind of keep plugging along. And like, you know, I wouldn't say it was like fun, but <laughs> in a manner that I wasn't like totally ruined out there and just hating things. It seemed you just, like you pulled it together. Like there was one point where I looked at you and thought, oh man, Neil's 
again, like I was shocked. I'm like, I'd never seen that before. I was like, yeah, Neil's made really you really happy, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> it did. It lifted my spirits. But I thought, man, he's really going through it. And then, a, you know, 20, 30 minutes later, I thought, okay, he's he's back. He's fine. Yeah, and I, I think really it's it's changing, you know, changing what you expect out of the day. Yeah. And like, I really enjoyed riding, you know, side by side chatting with Jake. And then when I couldn't do that anymore, I just had to regroup and like find what was going to allow me to continue getting through the through the day and, and finish the finish the goal. And so, you know, once I once I kind of regrouped and wrapped my mind around, all right you know, it's just going to be 10 minute longer laps, whatever. I have nowhere to be like, then it's, then it's fine. You yeah. just keep, keep going. And I don't know, there's like, it's really a, to me, it's a kind of a peaceful, it's a peaceful feeling once you're just like, I'm just going to keep ticking this out. And those, you know, the laps we're going to, we're going to get through it and we're going to get there. There's definitely, I, there's a few times I had to like talk to myself and just tell myself that I was okay. Like you're fine. You got nine laps done, you know, yeah. and like once you did that, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I am fine. I'm OK. Yeah. <laughs> I had headphones in. And at one point, my buddy says, well, what are you listening to? I'm like motivational speeches. <laughs> <laughs> it's not music. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I showed up with I showed up with headphones and um, I never got them out. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, uh, I, I I mean, I, I think what was. I think what most surprised me about the ride was actually how fun it was. Um, Cause I've definitely done my fair share of like monotonous slogs. I mean, DK turns into like a survival thing and this never felt like survival to me. Um, and I think a lot of it was just, it, it, I think the biggest thing that was most unexpected to me was just how fun it was. It was like, it kind of took me back to my XC racing days a little bit, like almost 24 hour racing because you're doing laps and you're seeing familiar faces every lap and nutrition on an event like this is so easy because it's just you're eating on the hour and you have a you have everything you need every hour so it's just you come down fill a bottle eat something and you, you know it's like you know you're going to need 300 calories an hour and probably some electrolytes and you just you just do that each lap and and it works out fine it's like it's one of the easier events for sure and the more fun events if we can call it that that i i think i've done and i think what really surprised me was how not monotonous it was and how enjoyable it was actually just riding mm -hmm. up the same hill every time and um you need to let your mind wander and like you said the river was really pretty and there's wildlife and there's scenery galore mm -hmm. you know it was, it was a beautiful beautiful route and if we had chosen north ogden pass for example i do not think i would have i mean i'm sure i would have figured out how to make that just as enjoyable mentally but it, it would definitely have been a would have been stressful. a little more stressful. Yeah. yeah, I think one cool thing too is like we go out, we do these big rides or big events, and often like our families are never really able to be included. Yeah. And with this, like, you know, all of our families and kids were were out there, and so they were able to kind of be a part of it and cheer, you know, have the kids cheer us on, and you know, have our wives, you know, being be a part of what we were doing, and it. I think those those are kind of some of the elements that just make it special and you know it's not just us going and you I, know being our selfish bike riders all day long even your your brother Jake who came yeah, out and did two really laps cool. like <clears throat> I only saw him you know twice on the up and down and he was yelling so loud mm -hmm. when he was descending 
like he just came blowing by me at 50 mile an hour, you know, as I was climbing up and it was like, man, he was like my hype man. Like yeah. he got me so excited. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh yeah, this is kind of fun. This is cool. I don't know. After doing this, I, I sort of think about it. Like if you're planning an Everesting um, attempt, like if you're not figuring out how to make it a party, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Like this sure, is, if sure. there's one event that you can just sort of like make it a party, like this is, this is it. It's kind of like, yeah, I mean, three days removed, I still look at it as pure fun. The only moment I wasn't just genuinely enjoying was the moment I pulled the plug, right? That was obviously like an emotional deal, but I had fun the whole day. Like you said, I, it was a good time. I will never forget. I sat in the lawn chair and my five-year-old comes and puts his arm around me and he says, Dad, I am sorry that you're not as fast as your friends. <laughs> 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 I was just like, all right, I'm back on the bike. I can't, I can't sit here anymore. <laughs> yeah, and where? At what other event do you get called out like I that? Know, you know? It, was, it was the greatest thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think that aspect of the event was was awesome. So, so AJ, how'd you get through it, man? What was your key to success? I I think good mental talk was like, especially those last two laps. Because I, I think it, I started the day thinking that we were just doing 10 and a half, and I kind of kept telling myself that. Oh, yeah. Let's and then, touch on that really quick. Yeah. <laughs> and then I finished my ninth lap, I think, and I started kind of doing the math in my head, and I was like, wait, no, I have to do a whole another lap. And that, that next, that 10th lap, and then even the 11th, I think the whole time I was just like... In denial. Just, <laughs> yeah, just like... Try, I was like, maybe maybe the barometer in my GPS is wrong. And I kind of like mentally started to think about it. And then I'd be like, no, no, just, just get the lap over with. Like, yeah. it's fine. Just get it over with. And um, What yeah. was that bullshit website you got that? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was the Everesting website. The, the website has one <laughs> single function. Yeah. It so, does one thing and it, it does it wrong. Yeah. And so I, so I was asking Jake... Cause he would come down from his 10th lap or maybe it was your 10th or 11th at yeah, that point. Yeah. And I was like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep riding? And I think you said something to the extent of like, when this thing says 29029 pointing at your Garmin, that's when I stop. <laughs> and I was like, that's a great point. I'm just going to keep going until this thing says it. That way there's, there's no question. And yeah, I just kept riding until it said that number. I mean, that was the hardest part of the day for me is because mentally going into it. I mean, my, I knew my Garmin had been calculating 25. I, I plan, like when we were going back and forth, like the calculator online was saying it was going to be 10 and a half laps. And based on the rides I'd done it, I was like, well, it says it's 12, but I was like, well, you know, I was saying I was doing 2,500 lap, a little over 2,500 feet per lap. And the thing online was saying it was 2,775. And, you know, after you do nine of those, like those, that variant that variance adds up and so what was on the online calculator 10 and a half laps in reality ended up being 11 and a half laps yeah and i think the hardest part is when you've been working all day towards 10 yeah laps and you're like i don't anybody can do a half lap so it's just like okay i've got one more to go and then you're like okay i'm i still have five thousand feet to go like yeah what the hell? <laughs> and it's like 5,000 feet a lot like you know like, but most people you know that's a pretty good ride for and you're like I still have to do this. I mean, that was, that was sort of a hard mental hurdle, but, um, and it comes at a time where you're vulnerable. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the hardest, I mean, 
some events you get like energized at the end because you're you know you know there's a finish line coming or whatever but like i think the hardest thing for me was the last lap and the weather was certainly not helping we enjoyed pretty mild like cool wet i mean it was cool all day but we had favorable winds all day until right at like 5 p.m when that wind shifted and it shifted hard it went from being like a good you know 10 15 mile an hour tailwind to being like a 15 to 30 mile an hour head to crosswind and clouds rolled in and the temperature dropped 15 degrees and it was basically sleeting and snowing at the very top in the last laps and honestly if i would have had to do one more to the top i i mean i would have done it but it would have been it was pretty I would have been pretty there. upset. <laughs> we would have been walking with AJ. <laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, when it, when Shane talks about not finishing and pulling the ripcord, I mean that that's what that's what got him ultimately is like. Yeah, I think you had it in your legs for sure. It was just the weather was. I mean, I th- that's for me the part that was so frustrating that night. I didn't sleep a minute that night. I was so mad, and the next day, I mean, I was really frustrated because I felt like I could do it, and you know, it just sucks to to go through that and to know that to, you know, if I ever want to do it, I'm starting at one foot again, you know, <laughs> you know, and it just, it was hard because I felt like, Hey, I can do this. But at the rate I was going, I had about four to five hours left. Um, I was at 22,000 feet. The wind was ripping. And so for me, I was going to be out there till midnight, which is exactly what I had projected going into the thing. <laughs> and I was willing to do that. I thought, yeah, I can ride till midnight. If, I'm not in danger, you know, and it just got to the point where I thought it's just not the right thing for me to do. It's not the smart thing for me to do. And I don't know that these guys want to hang out till then. (laughs) We didn't. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I mean, it would have been, I mean, strictly speaking, it would have been legitimately unsafe. Like, you know, it's 16, 16% grades when you know, even heavy on the brakes, you're not doing less than 35 or 40. Yeah, my yeah. last. There's, there's no way you're doing that in the snow. Scary. I went the <laughs> next day to finish, and there was literally inches of snow where at the bottom of the climb where the van was parked and the road had snow all over it. I mean, I couldn't even do it the next day. I, so it was definitely the right decision to walk away and you know deal with the. So would you do hurt. it again, Shane? It's not uh, what I when, think. When, yeah, when, when are we doing this again, Shane? I think I have to at this point. You know, I, there's yeah. a lot of people in this building that were supposed to have Everested, but then they didn't for unexcusable excuses. Yeah. So I mean, it seems like we should probably set up a another event. Yeah, I, I have to at this point because again, if I'd have tapped out, not feeling like man, I could, I can't do this. I think that would have been different. But having to tap out over different, you know, over the weather. I, it's it's just a tough pill to swallow. So for me, I've already thought about okay, when is the ne- when is the right time to do this again? Right? Is it in two weeks while it's still June and not a hundred degrees, or is it September? You know, I don't know, but definitely have to cross this one off the list. Well, at least you didn't try to do it on Zwift. That's yeah. right. Shots over the bow. I'm not <laughs> all of you listening. I'm not discriminating, but. <laughs> Jake is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I keep seeing all these Zwift Everest's pop Everest Everest attempts pop up or not attempts, and I just think that's not real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think what as you're highlighting is like you cannot underestimate this sort of event. Like it's it's a, it's a real challenge, and I'm sure even on Zwift, it's quite challenging. Um, 
I think what just uh, being on a bike that long in general. Yeah. And, and I think what shows is like you can be, you know, prepared and have the fitness and do everything right. But then there's the variables like the weather and just situations like that that make the outdoor stuff so can make it so much more demanding, but um, also well, add to the experience. Yeah. And like a lot, I mean, we're not the only ones that have been everything. We, you know, we have a lot of friends that have been everything and, and making attempts and there's been plenty of failure failed attempts as well from very fit, talented cyclists, just, you know, based on who knows what, I mean, not lack of fitness. That's for sure. No, you spend that much time out there. And like you said, the variables at some point, I mean, they just get you. I think we need to do a second chance event. So everyone yeah. that attempted it and didn't make it or didn't show up, yeah. they get there get yeah. their second chance. This, it would be nice fall. to not do it by myself. So yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get oh, no, behind Jake that. will do it with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll definitely show up for two laps. <laughs> as long as it's not make, too close make to it ski the last season. Two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that was um, definitely some of the key to my success on the day was just having, I mean, it was just awesome how many people came out to just ride a couple laps with us. Um, I had a buddy from high school showed up and he didn't even bring his bike, but he pulled up in his truck and was just cranking like Brad Stoke songs. You know, he was my hype man for a lap and <laughs> it was kind of at a, it was kind of at a, one of the darker laps. It was like lap number seven or eight. And it was just like that lap was kind of a blur just because I was just chatting with him the whole climb up and, um, you know, and other friends showed up and, you know, it, I think just that support was super meaningful just to get your mind off. I think if yeah. you were to try to go do an Everest like solo with like, I mean, it'd just be a very different sort of just sort of just a different um, experience altogether. Yeah. If there was, if you were alone out there, truly alone and like doing those repetitive laps. I mean, we For had a sure. lot of distractions. I mean, there was the four of us doing it, but there was also what another three or four, another yeah. three guys. There was Jules yep. and then the two wheel rights. Yep. There's yeah another three guys doing it um and you know two of those guys didn't quite make it did you see their strava they no. said they kilimanjaroed oh yeah <laughs> what's kilimanjaro is that 20 or 22 19 yeah 19. something like that i had a friend that's the first thing he said is you kilimanjaro and i was like oh, that's a glass half, glass half full <laughs> i'm like sitting there crying <laughs> um well cool i know did we i think that about covers it any yeah. any any parting thoughts, Neil? What's our next adventure? I'm fired up now. We can't let anybody know yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's okay. Than me. I, we've got a few ideas cooking up. There's ideas. Yeah, for sure. We could. What was your? There's the Mauna Kea. What would you call that one? Well, that so Mauna Kea is if you measure from sea floor to summit, it would be the tallest mountain in the world. Yeah. About three thousand, four thousand feet higher than Everest. Oh, is that all it is? More? So we would need to do <laughs> if we achieved uh, ten thousand meters, which is so funny because like that was our that was our real goal. I would have freaking done it if it hadn't been the twenty nine thousand. I would twenty nine. I, I would enough. not have. I wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was done. <laughs> I was done too. But the weather definitely didn't help that. Yeah, I would have done it only because I would have taken a lot to help Shane. And then by, <laughs> you know, through that effort, I would have magically arrived at that number. <laughs> it is amazing how slow that last 5,000 feet goes. Cause the first 10,000 feet go by in a blur. Yeah. 
you know, I was looking the last at my, five take forever. It, it took me all afternoon to get from halfway done to 20,000 20, feet. I mean, it, it felt, yeah, it just wasn't <laughs> going anywhere. I think it's funny because like that first 10,000 feet, you're like, oh, wonder what I'm going to do tonight. Like, it's going to be fun. Like, you know, <laughs> a little party, maybe get some Mexican food yeah. and like yeah. really enjoy this. And it, I was already planning out like the yard work I was going to get done <laughs> the rest of the day. <laughs> the, the, the day is ruined. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Whatever is left. Happening. If you finish, you know, and there's any, any part of the evening left, like it doesn't matter. Like you're worthless. That's funny because I was opposite. As soon as I realized I was pulling the plug, I thought, man, what am I going to do tonight? I thought I was going to be riding a bike all night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it, wow. was, it was genuinely, though, a really cool experience to be, um, like I said, I think the, the neat thing about Everesting for me was being able to be a part of the ex the experience with everybody the whole time and not just be off the back on some 200-mile ride by myself, you know, going through it. It was being able to see everybody's faces. I mean, I've developed a respect for cycling in my long inability to figure it out. And, you know, I in that respect comes based on the individuals that you go with and their strength and how how fast they are, how good they can climb, how technical they are. And, you know, to experience an entire day with you guys who I genuinely look up to and appreciate, like it was, um, it was inspiring watching like AJ finishing on that cassette. I thought that is just mind blowing. Like watching Jake's legs spin at that rate, <laughs> like what in the world? And Neil's got a smile on his face for some weird reason. I've never, I've never been accused of spinning, so <laughs> that's awesome. I just, it was, it was really inspiring for me, and it made the experience that much better. And I just, I think, yeah, if you're gonna do this, you got to get the right people around you and and make it a party because it, like you said, it was fun. Yeah, an even bigger picture, like what Rebecca put together, mm -hmm. and if you hashtag. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, search giddy up for good hashtag, I mean, she had, I, I believe the latest numbers were like 700 people sign up for this <laughs> in a hundred percent. It's like $20 just to register hundred percent of the donation, hundred percent of that goes to the relief, um, to the charities. And the goal was like to raise $50,000. And last I saw it was at about $120,000. So it's really it's really neat to see how many people got behind this and, you know, yeah. so us to, you know, have our own experience, but then to see that there's so many other people that, you know, over the course of that holiday weekend doing the same thing. Um, it was really inspiring. Yeah. And I think that's also like at some point why, why we all showed up. Right. I mean, it was, it was hard to tap out knowing that there's something, you know, more important on the line than, and even making it to the top. So I showed up for the burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Figured somebody's going to show up with free lunch. <laughs> Proof there is no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> you have to earn it. No, that's good. Yeah, it was awesome to, you know, so often the events we do are just about us. And at least, you know, thanks to Rebecca and um, the Giddy Up for Good um, charity, it was, you know, this, the riding meant a little bit more than just, uh, you know, the personal challenge. So I think that wraps it up. I think we've yeah, well covered yeah. it. Yeah. Thanks guys for sitting down. I know we're all still uh, slightly recovering um, 
but yeah, this is, this has been good. Um, yeah, feel free to, um, shoot us an email too at podcast at envy.com. If you, uh, have any, want to hear anything special or specific and, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. So thanks guys. Thank you.